This is 2002. And Ludacris, on his verse on Gossip Folks, references, number one, the character Tim A., from South Park, <laughs> which is like two years old at this point, oh, and then says something of like, I got to squash the rumor. I got a headache, but it's not a tumor. Oh, right after that. Cold. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to another week of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and general complainers are going to get together to talk about albums on Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. We're going to give some background on the artist, talk about the production of the album. We're going to make fun of the artist. So that's just a warning. We're going to make fun of your favorite artist. We're going to make fun of our favorite artist. We're going to make fun of the stuff that there is to make fun of in music because there's a lot in music that is worthy of poking fun at. But all in all, we are great appreciators of anyone who goes out there and puts their heart and soul on a track and puts it out there for public consumption. So what are we going to do after we have gone through all of our deep dives on album tracks and talked about the artists? We are going to vote and tell you. Dear listeners, whether or not this is really an album that you must hear before you die. Before we get into all of that stuff and start throwing it around the room, we're going to give you a little bit of a taste of what we have been listening to. And because you clicked on the link, I'm sure you already know, we are talking about the November 12, 2002 release by Missy Misdemeanor Elliott, Under Construction. So we are going to throw on first what is undeniably the biggest hit off of this album, Probably something you've heard before, but if not, don't worry. You're going to get enough of it to get a taste of what we're listening to. This is the track, Work It. All right, and we are back. So let's hear from our cast of characters and see what everybody has been thinking about this week, what everybody's week was like. I'm going to throw it around for these tweet-length reviews, and I'm going first to Marty. Hey, hey. On Under Construction, Missy Elliott says the word pussy so many times that it's an actual (laughs) misdemeanor in Alabama, South Carolina, and Virginia. Look it up. Deep dive on the old school laws. Nice work. All right. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. Rob, what do you got for me? Just one question remains about Missy Elliott's under construction. Does this record contain any Missy Elliott exclusives? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. And Adam, what do you got? Hey, everybody. This is Adam. And despite having a runtime of nearly an hour and some truly cringeworthy lyrical moments, Missy Elliott's Under Construction turned out to be surprisingly fun. You know what, Adam? I will go ahead and echo fun. I think her whole vibe is fun. So I think you nailed it on that one. Uh, And this is Tom. I'll be guiding us through our little tour down Missy Elliott Lane here. And my tweet length review is, is it possible for something to sound very, very staunchly 20 years ago and also kind of sound like the future? I think Missy Elliott <laughs> rides that line very well on this album. And yeah, we're going to jump into general impressions here. I thought that this was pretty fun overall. I had a kind of a good time listening to this. It's too long, certainly. Everything was too long in this era. But overall, yeah, I think her, her personality shines through a lot on this album. Yeah, I would agree. And I think the beats, the backing beats are really solid. They're vibrant. They're interesting. There's a lot of different texture going on. Hat tip to Timbaland, who is arguably the best producer of the last 40 years or something, right? So no huge surprise there. But the whole thing is not really my style, but I couldn't help but enjoy myself. You know, I will I will agree with the hat tip to Timbaland, but I also will say that Missy Elliott gets a producer credit on basically every song. And she is apparently incredibly involved in the actual production of these songs. And one of the things that we will talk about in her background is that she has a vision. She very clearly was trying to execute on a vision. And I think that that shines through and gives it a little bit more personality than you would get in some of these kind of more cookie cutter releases of this era. I agree with you, Tom. I I think that the production, there's almost kind of an elegant, minimal quality to it, which I appreciate. Some of the samples are real short, repetitive, but again, it's real minimum. Everything has a place. And my other comment is that Missy Elliott is a double threat. She's a great singer as well as a good rapper. She really is. She's really a great singer. I think that one of the things that we're probably going to talk about that's adjacent to this album is that she has a very interesting visual style as well. Her music videos are off the fucking wall. They're really good and they're really unique and they're really crazy. Everybody in all of the interviews that I said said that that was all her. She would come to these music videos and say, I was creating the music video when I was making this song. This is what it's going to be like. Oh, that's why so She had a very specific vision that she was trying to execute on. Yeah, that's funny because I found myself thinking, oh, this sound, the record sounds like an MTV music video and that it's very hyperactive, a lot of colorful textures, a lot of changes, sharp cuts, etc. But then it occurred to me, oh, maybe that's because she's made such a strong visual impression. I wasn't really watching MTV in this era, and yet I know her visual style pretty well. Yeah, I was coming in completely new to Missy Elliott. It's a shocker. Shocker. Yeah, right. I know. Is everyone on the line surprised? (laughs) The guy who likes Gentle Giant was not a huge Missy Elliott fan in the early 2000s. So completely new, you know, I know the hits. And these fell in line with what I was expecting, I suppose, from the first couple tunes that I knew of hers from, I guess, the first album or rather the prior album, which was the uh, Get Your Freak On, Everybody Knows, and then that song Lose Control, which, in my opinion, could have been used in that show Homeland in one of their psychological torture rooms. For like nine minutes, it's like, yeah, all right, we got it, we got it. I'm just waiting for Adam to say he had to cover these songs in his cover band where he was the lead singer. No, although we did do 50 cents uh, in the club. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure that came off real authentic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I got to say, overall, we talked about fun album. Doesn't take itself all that seriously. I think a lot of this is tongue in cheek. And I got a bit of the, well, we've talked about this with Wu-Tang. 
just a bunch of goofballs kind of saying the most obscene shit that they can to elicit a reaction from you, but they're not taking a lot of this stuff seriously. I got yeah. the sense from, from this that there was a lot of that going on. Just sort of, let me see if I can string together something funny to shock you, but I'm not. I'm actually a pretty reserved person generally. I, I agree. There was a goofiness that came through that grounded it for me and helped me understand it. I really dislike self-seriousness. I didn't, it did not sense too much of that, at least during the actual songs. I think that's a little bit undercut by the at least two long diatribes that seem sincere that you know that she puts on the record where she's just talking for like 90 seconds oh, yeah. and it seems to be unscripted yeah seems to be unscripted they are horrible they open the <laughs> album with she's got stutters she's got bumps in there she's repeating herself yeah. it is very unfocused i did not get that at all i don't understand why she thought that should stay on everything else is so manicured why would they put that right. on there that's interesting she had one note in there, one line where she was talking about, uh, you know, the, the folks who have the money don't fight amongst each other, like Trump and Bill Gates. And I was like, oh, if only she could have seen the future. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought that Missy Elliott was was predicting the eventual Trump versus Gates battle of the early 2020s? Listen, if Bill Gates would just stop putting his vaccine chips in the 5G, then everything would be fine, okay? <laughs> Oh, man. So we talked about it a little bit with Timbaland and the production on it. I do feel like there is a a care to the production that sets it apart from other music of this era. It doesn't seem off the rack in any way, shape, or form. This all seems very specific. And again, it, it kind of... I was talking about how it seemed like it was both very much the past and also sounds like the future. I think it's because it kind of defined a lot of what people were trying to do moving forward. There are a lot of people out there that would say that Missy Elliott is the greatest female rapper of all time. In all of the top lists of female rappers, she's usually number one. She's always at least number three in terms of greatest female rappers of all time. And I kind of agree with that. I was struck by, we'll talk about it a little bit more when the Jay-Z verse comes around, but like how important tonality is in the delivery in hip-hop songs Remember when we did Gangstar and we talked about Guru, the lead vocalist of Gangstar? Very intricate lyrics, but they were just delivered so blandly that you didn't right, fucking right. care. I don't care right. what you're saying. It's, it put me to sleep. And she has a very vibrant voice. It sounds like she's smiling the entire time that she is singing and or rapping. And it really comes through. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, smiling even though she did not have the greatest upbringing. And we will get to her upbringing after we do our By the Numbers here. So Ooh, bring it on. Going to do a relatively short By the Numbers because I don't want to use them all up because there is another Missy Elliott album on this oh, list. Oh, really? We'll be covering her again. So we're going to use some of these now. And I'm going to go with the first one is just 40 million, which is the number of records that she has sold to date jesus that's a lot that is a lot she went on a string of hits she had six platinum at least platinum albums in seven years 
which is a <laughs> string of damn hits. Oh my God. From 97 to 2005, she was cranking out hits. That sounds like she got in right at the end of the selling records era, right? Uh, she cashed in, yeah. She's not getting yeah. the half a cent Spotify royalties. <laughs> and that has helped us to get to our next number, which is 7 million, which is the estimated value of her car collection as of 2023. Damn. That is something that she has said, I just like cars, I like to buy cars, I buy a shitload of cars. She has a $3 million Ferrari Enzo. So that's just one of her cars is worth $3 million. Just like Rolls Royce Phantom, all kinds of crazy ass cars. But she's been very open about it. Like, I just like cars. That's what I like to do. I buy crazy fucking cars. I like to show off my money. And when you got 40 million albums sold and, and you have been having a producer credit and a writer credit on all of your hits and producer and writer credits on a lot of other people's hits royalties you are making a shitload of money there. that's why she says on the song slide buy a car no matter what it costs <laughs> she literally says that's one of the lines in one of her songs yeah i mean hey she's living her truth right man <laughs> We're going to talk about the next number on our list is 70, which is the number of pounds that Missy Elliott lost in the 10 months leading up to the release of this album, because our next number is three weeks, which is how long she was hospitalized for in late 2001, early 2002 for extremely high blood pressure. She went into a doctor's visit after having had headaches and fatigue, and they basically said, we cannot let you leave. Your blood pressure is so high that we can't let you leave. She was hospitalized for three weeks, and they said, your diet and the amount of work that you were putting in, like you were just beating yourself to death and you were going to die unless... You can get your lifestyle in Something order. changes. Yep. Wow. And she talks about that a couple of times on this album, how she lost a lot of weight. She apparently turned into an exercise fanatic. And now she says she's exercising four or five times a day. She lost a ton of weight. I feel like one of the things that I like about her personality on this album is I get the sense that, number one, she had body image issues. She talked about having body image issues her entire life, but it doesn't sound like it stopped her from feeling like she was sexy. And when she lost the weight, I don't feel like she lost the weight so she could be sexy. She lost the weight. Cause she's like, this is like a health thing. I need to lose the weight for that. But I've always been sexy. And I've always known really like who I am. And I thought that was really cool. And then the last number is at least three, which is the number of times on this album that there are very questionable references to Asian people that would probably get her canceled in 2023. (laughs) I have one in particular that I'm thinking of. I'm curious as to the other two that you may have pointed out. We'll see if we get into them. I don't want to say them. So I don't think we're going to say them on tape. Because I know Rob's just going to have that soundboard of just me repeating that. (laughs) Let's get you canceled, Tom. Probably wouldn't be that hard. You could say it nice and clear and loudly. Exactly. (laughs) Alrighty, so that was our By the Numbers. Let's jump into the background of Melissa Arnett Elliott. Born July 1st, 1971 in Portsmouth, Virginia. She was super poor growing up. Very poor. It's one of those things where they talk about this. And I'm like, this is the 70s in America? She said... No running water in her house. Oh, her house was just one big room. So there was no separate kitchen or anything like that. They just had one big room. 
They said that there were so many rats and mice in the house that they used to have to put their bread in the dryer because it's the only place that like oh, clicked closed and the mice couldn't get into it. God. Hold on. I can't believe they had a dryer. That feels like one of the first appliances to go. You could just right. hang that stuff out in the yard. Yeah, they put their bread in their big screen. No, they had the dryer and they said they had gas at the house, but they could never afford to pay the bill. So they didn't use their heater and they didn't use oh, the dryer because they couldn't afford geez. to pay the bills. So they use the dryer like it was a safe for perishable items that the mice might eat. A bread box. That used to be yeah. a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy, man. So this is also probably not going to come as a huge shocker. Living in a house with only one room and you're so poor that you don't have running water and you don't have heat and you don't have a refrigerator. Her dad beat the shit out of her mom all the time. Probably was not super satisfied with his life and very abusive towards her mother. She claims he never hit her, ever. But she's been very open in interviews about how dangerously abusive he was. He would do stuff like make her mom strip at knife point and stuff like that. And she would say that she wouldn't go over to her friend's houses because she was worried that when she came back, her mom would be dead. Terrible, terrible, terrible shit. Very rough and tumble growing up. This is another thing that normally I wouldn't bring it up, but she's been pretty open about it and talked about it that she was sexually abused for a year when she was eight years old by an older cousin and i bring these up more to bring it back to her personality because she seems like she's really happy and she does seem like she has a good sense of self and to be able to come out of that situation not completely broken and defeated i give her mad props for that it is it is kind of crazy to be able to walk away from that kind of stuff and not Just have it define your entire life. Part of the reason why I think it didn't completely break her is that she had been focused. Every single person in every single interview that knew her as a child says, oh, Missy said she wanted to be a singing star from the time that she was old enough to know what she wanted to do. She would put on shows with her dolls in a room. Every place that she would go to, she would just stand up on tables and stand up on the bed and just start singing. That's all she ever wanted to do. And that's the one thing that she shared with her dad. Actually, her dad was very into music. And so they got into music together. She was not a great student, but she also tells the story that at one point they gave her an aptitude test at school. And then they came back and made her take it again because she scored so high. They thought it was like a freak a incident. And so they made her take it twice and like, oh, you're like a genius. You should be able to ace every class, but you just don't care about anything but music. You know all the words to all the songs out there. You know how to sing. You know how to harmonize. You know everything about music. You just don't care about school. If you cared about school, you'd be killing it. You'd be smoking it, right? Yeah. She would apparently, and this is at the time where... Her mom talks about being so poor that she would have to go to aunts, uncles, cousins, and ask them for $3. Like, can I have $3, please? I need $3. But Missy would apparently write letters to Janet and Michael Jackson almost every day. And her mom would spend an obscene amount of money on stamps. On stamps, wow. She would just write letters to Michael Jackson and to Janet Jackson to try to get them to come to her house to meet her and she said that she would she would say she had cancer she would say that like her mom was <laughs> wow. dying she would like everything in the book she's like I, everything in the book i could send out to them to try to get them to come and it's like well unfortunately it didn't work maybe if she was a young boy she might have gotten more oh burn <laughs> oh, boosh <laughs> so there's no sacred cows here no sacred cows yes, that right, no sacred- <laughs> so 
We're going to smash cut to 1984, which is when her mom decides that she's had enough. She's got to leave her dad. So they do this clandestine thing where her dad thinks that mom's going to work and Missy's going to school. Mom leaves in the car to go to work. Missy goes to the school bus. Mom like hides around the corner, waits till the dad drives away for work. They go back. They pack up the whole house. They say they left their dad with a blanket, a plate, a fork and a spoon. And that's the only thing that was left in the house. Damn. They took, they took and the dryer. They escape. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I'm guessing they probably pawned the dryer by that point, yes. but no, they, they pack up all their stuff. And in an effort to get out of this very abusive relationship, they go all the way to Portsmouth, Virginia. They actually stay in the same. <laughs> I was going to say, is all this still happening in Virginia? Okay. It was all still happening in Portsmouth. Apparently though, her dad was like, you know what? Message received. No contact with oh, Missy wow. again for 20 years. No contact until conveniently she happens to win a whole bunch of grants. Let me right. guess. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. She buys her first Maybach <laughs> or Ferrari and the dad shows up. Hey, yeah. here I am. So she's 1985. She goes to Manor High School and she's still in Portsmouth. It's right at this time. She meets Timothy Mosley. AKA Timberland, also from Portsmouth, Virginia, which is kind of interesting. You know, you wouldn't have thought that they were like childhood friends, but they've known each other since she was in high school. She had started a group called Sista. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. At the time, it was called Fazy, and it was a singing group. And she'd seen Timberland spinning records and basically went up to him and was like, Make me a beat. And he was like, Oh, I don't really do that. She's like, No, you do. Trust me. Just make me a beat. And so he makes her a beat. She, writes the lyrics for it, comes back the next day, and she's like, make me another beat. He's like, who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> But they just develop a relationship. She keeps coming back and writing lyrics for beats for his songs, and that's how they end up. And they're up. teenagers at this point, They're teenagers right? at this He's point. at high school. Yeah. Okay. And so her group, Fazy, gets a little, you know, they get a little bit of local cred. They have a single that's getting played on the local radio stations. They get their big break when they crash an after party for Jodeci in 1991. Apparently they sing for Devante's swing and he loves it, has him sing for everybody. And he's like, I'm going to make you girls a star. I'm going to sign you guys to a record deal. And lo and behold, they get signed to a super shitty record deal. (laughs) 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 And she's even said, like, we didn't read it. We were just like, we're going to make so much money. Who cares? But they get signed to a record Exploitation deal. records. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Devontae Swing had never actually produced any acts before. And he wanted to become a star maker. And so this was his first uh. go at becoming a star maker. He moves them all up. He doesn't even move them. He just tells them to come to New York City. They all move to New York. They work for a year with Timbaland on this album. And right before it's about to be released, the record label is like, wait, what were you doing over there? No, we don't. We don't condone this at all. Completely oh drop my them. God. The record gets shelved, never gets released. And <sighs> Devontae Swing is like, okay, well, the record label doesn't have any confidence in you guys. Fuck that. I'm going to make this work all on my own. They move up to Rochester, New York in the basement. Home of hip hop. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> the birthplace of hip hop. Well, they go to this place that's literally called The Basement, which is... Devonte Smith's basement, and, <laughs> <laughs> and they have a bunch of acts that he is trying. It's like his stable. He's trying to get them all off the ground, and apparently during this time it gets super contentious to the point where like things are getting smashed and chairs are getting thrown around because Missy Elliott starts showing him up, 
and she can write better than him. She can sing better than him. She can produce better than him. She can do everything better than him. And he's like, wait a second, I'm the guy. I am the star maker here. You're just like my interchangeable parts. I'm fucking Ike. You're Tina, you know, basically. And she's like, actually, no, I'm fucking Tina and you're fucking Ike. Like, you know, (laughs) and she says, fuck it. I can't do this. After like another year of that, she says, I can't do this. She moves back. And this is 1995 by the time that she eventually, so 91, she moves to New York to become a star. 95, she moves back to Portsmouth with nothing having been done. She has no album release. She's not a star. And I mean, that's four years in like the prime of your life that you are in your early 20s trying to make it. And basically she's like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Should I join the army? Like getting jobs at McDonald's and stuff like that. Because that's got to feel psychologically very much like you gave it your best shot and it's not going to happen, right? Absolutely. Yes. A million percent. And that is actually what she thought. That's what she said. I'm never going to make it happen. All right. Then Timbaland credits Missy Elliott with saying she had the gall. She was the first one to walk out of this terrible situation in the basement of Rochester. Shortly after he quits, moves back to Portsmouth. Now, Missy said she didn't have any connections, but Timbaland, because he had been doing some DJ work, he had some connections and he ends up getting in touch with the record label that is going to produce Aaliyah's next album. Aaliyah, who had just gotten out of a relationship with R. Kelly, both professional and personal. And I don't know exactly what teen year she was when they got married, but it was not 18 or even close to 18. She did a stint in his uh, basement as well, right? I mean... Yeah, it's it's all really predatory and super fucked yeah. up. And you know what? R. Kelly, fucking rest in prison because you know, I have no sympathy We're for We're going to have to put the child abuse trigger warning on this episode. I think so. Dude, uh, in the music industry? Like crazy. I feel like I was going to say in the music industry in the 90s, but I'm like, no, it was the same in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. And the too. Right, right, right. Wow. And basically every era. But they get in touch with Aaliyah and Aaliyah chooses Timbaland and Missy Elliott to be producers on her new album that's coming out. And so Missy Elliott's like, well, I guess maybe I got a shot at being a producer. And so she starts being a producer. They produce four songs that are on Aaliyah's album, One in a Million. And boom, Missy Elliott's in demand as a producer. She's getting calls from Mariah Carey. She's getting calls from all of the like main female artists at the time, like Eve, all these people are like, hey, you did really great work. We want to work with you. And Missy's like, I'm going to be a producer now. That's my role. I'm just a producer. And she starts producing a bunch of really great work. Basically, what she's doing is she's putting this new kind of fresh sound on other people's tracks. And part of the way that she's doing it is through her doing vocal stuff that's not a lead line, it's not a hook. It's just kind of her making weird noises and adding accoutrement to these songs. And those end up being the ones that people are like, that's really unique. Like, that's really cool. Who is that? Who's doing that? And word gets out that it's Missy Elliott. And she starts getting people saying, hey, maybe you should do your own thing. And that leads to 1997. She gets the confidence to say, I am going to try my own solo thing. Electra signs her to a record with complete artistic freedom. Her own carve-out label with her and Timberland to be able to produce any new artists that they want. And so you talk about, like, why does she have fucking $7 million in cars? 
Yeah. Right from the beginning, she had total control artistically. She was writing everything. She was producing everything with her long-term partner, Timbaland. It's the ideal, but she earned it. She worked really hard to get to that point. Hell yeah, man. Did you say Electra? Electra, yeah. Can we just tat tip to that record company? They've been through a lot from the 60s being a folk label to signing the doors <laughs> and love to getting Iggy and the Stooges off the ground. Like, they just seem like they were willing to adapt and change quite a bit through the years. I would say that most of the artists that they're signing are kind of on the forefront of something, though. A little cutting edge. It's hard to say <laughs> Missy Elliott is cutting edge because hip hop was what they call it it's like in its third age at the time i saw a guy describing that there was the roots era of hip-hop which was early 70s to the mid 80s and then they have what's called the golden era which was 86 to 93 and then the later era is what they call pop goes the culture where hip-hop becomes the driving dominant force in youth culture worldwide hmm. Actually, I saw an interview a long time ago with Talib Kweli, and I'm going to have to like paraphrase it because I'm just thinking about it now, where he basically was talking about how hip-hop in the era that we are talking about right now, which is you know late 90s to basically now, is the equivalent to when rock and roll went hair metal party music in the 80s. Like it would started out as protest, real life in the streets type of shit, just like a lot of rock and roll did. Then it went into this very experimental but virtuosity kind of era where you had the seventies rock and that was kind of the golden era of hip hop. And then it just turned into drugs and party and money and all the girls and all the other shit. And he's like, I, he basically he was saying, I'm waiting for hip hop to have its grunge moment. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm waiting <laughs> for the grunge realignment of hip hop. Oh, that's happen. funny. Interesting. What do you think that'll look like I don't as know. somebody who's not a huge, you know, hip hop aficionado? I hope it hasn't happened already because if this is where it led, I don't really like most modern hip hop. It seems very, right. it's taken away the things that I like the most, which are witty lyrics and uh, personality and replaced it with a lot of unintelligible lyrics. Sure. Either way, you know, with 1997, Missy Elliott releases Super Dupa Fly, goes platinum. And then that starts this six platinum record run over seven years. The fourth of those albums is under construction. And that is what we're going to talk about now. It is yeah. four of six platinum records. That's where you're saying this is? The fourth of six platinum records. The yes. fourth of God. six. And yes. just for context, sorry, I'm so ignorant of this, but who is even in the discussion besides her as best female rapper? Who would be the other options in the conversation? So... Some people will say Queen Latifah. A lot of people will say Nicki Minaj, who is hmm. currently making music. And I got to tell you, I'm not a huge Nicki Minaj fan, but she's a pretty good rapper. What about like Little Kim? She's on that list too, right? She's on the lists of best female rappers, but there's not a whole lot of female like pure rappers. She's much more of the, I'm trying to be extremely provocative, but I don't have that kind of not taking myself seriously vibe that Missy Elliott has. Another female rapper that's up there that I wholeheartedly agree with is Lauren Hill. Mm. She hasn't done a whole lot of hip hop stuff after, um, you know, yeah, Fuji's and like Miseducation of Lauren Hill. She went a little more folk after that, but she's a really good rapper. Cool. Thank you. One of the things that a lot of in, in seeing interviews, it's mostly women talking about Missy Elliott and how she opened doors for women in the music industry to be something other than a sex kitten and something other than the arm candy for a male rapper. And you can, you can hear it on 
some of these songs where she has a male rapper doing a verse and she's doing a verse as well. She's right up there with them. In fact, there are a lot of people who would say that Missy Elliott is like top 50 of all rappers of all time. And I, I actually would probably agree with that. I think that overall her lyrical flow is compelling and I find it to be pleasant to listen to. Yeah, I would agree. Just to keep it in the like cultural context of where hip hop was at at the time, I have to admit, even though I previously complained about her monologues on the record there was one that that gave me pause and i have been thinking about it all week in the back of my head where she talked about how hip-hop had finally achieved its respect it went through its process and now the mainstream culture respected it so it's that process you're talking about of the subculture eventually rising up and becoming the culture but i guess maybe you're telling a story here about how there's always new frontiers to break and this was the female females being accepted as valid rappers frontier yeah this was a lot more of it's almost like if you look at the lineage of hip-hop on the male side every year there's three or four threads that are all interconnected to each other it's not as clear-cut as it goes from queen latifah in the 80s to missy elliott in the late 90s but the gaps are way more pronounced in the female mm -hmm. lineage and she was one of the females that not only as a rapper, but as a producer, there weren't a whole lot of female producers that were star makers. There weren't a whole lot of female producers that were getting credit as a producer on the technical side of things. And so she got a lot of respect from the male part of the industry that was not being shown on females at the time and opened the door for a lot of other females to come in and do that thing, which I think we've all seen can be the more lucrative side of music, which is being the star maker of I'm going to find talent, I'm going to produce yeah. that talent, and I'm going to make money off of their records because I'm producing their records. Nice. Good honor. Yeah. So here we are. We got Under Construction. It is universally acclaimed when it's released. Again, November 12th, 2002. Universal acclaim. Goes two-time platinum. And we're going to jump in and talk about some of these specific tracks. We already touched on it a little bit, but we are going to revisit the smash hit off of this album, the song Work It. Boy, lift it up, let's make a toast oh. Let's get drunk, this gonna bring us closer. Oh. Don't I look like a Holly Berry poster? Oh. See the Belvedere playing tricks on ya? Oh. Girlfriend wanna be like me, never. Oh. You won't find a bitch that's even better. Oh. I make you hot as Las Vegas weather. Oh. Listen up close while I take it backwards. Oh, okay, begins the gallus in me, which I want. I'm not a prostitute, but I can give you what you want. I love your brains and your mouth full of phones. Love the way my ass go, but Marty, what'd you think about this one? Oh, I think it's a real fun song. I was listening to it earlier in my office, and I turned my head, and my wife was looked like she was dancing at the club in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of got that vibe to it. And the other note I have on that song is, at the very end of it, it references a sample that is used, I feel like, in the lots of different hip-hop songs, which is those two bells sounds at the end ding 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 yeah yeah don't kind of like a ride dunk, symbol dunk, dunk, right? yeah yeah and that's from a song called take me to the mardi gras by bob james i feel like it's on tons of rap and hip-hop songs but i had to look it up because like i hear this all the time yeah i feel like that's in a beastie boys song maybe i think so i feel like that yeah. for the ladies is a maybe a reference to the beastie boys i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> I have a bad experience with this song. So first off, this song is great in retrospect, but this song came out in the summer, or at least it was like the song of the summer when I was 
gigging in a cover band. And the way the cover scene would always work is that you would go to the club, you'd bring PA, but there was usually, especially at like the beaches, there was like a built-in DJ system that was as loud as a jet engine. And so we would play with like our dinky PA. And then when it came time for like the set break, when the DJ would play, it was always this song. And it was about 60 decibels louder than us. So I just have a bad, <laughs> a bad feeling with this song. Where it's like, oh man, it was so anticlimactic. And we would come back on because it was quiet and we weren't playing this. So, but yeah, overall, badass tune. And this had something to the, that reverse it thing. That's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me of the... MIA, the paper plane song where the gunshot in the chorus, right? It's like it's out of nowhere and it sticks in your head and it's loud and it's mixed out in front. And it was the same thing with this. It's just like, what a little hook where you're running the line backwards and rhythmically it's so catchy that you can sing along to it. How crazy is that? We're all singing along. We're France, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're going along with a backwards line there, which I just thought was, was genius. Yeah, I had heard the song a bunch of times, but I never realized it was a reversed lyric until I really started listening to it and taking a glance at the lyrics. And it's funny you mentioned MIA. It definitely made, made me think of Paper Planes also, but mostly because of the elephant trumpet insertion yeah. <laughs> instead of a word little trick yes. i think that's that's a very clever little move to pull i'm kind of surprised we haven't heard more stuff like that since i think this predates paper planes but you know sort of since this and that song i like the fact that that elephant is in place of saying if you got a big dick they say if you got a yeah, big right. like <laughs> yes. elephant trunk which I, it's, yes. it's great that's good it's clever yeah, it really it's is. funny and it's self-aware she had another animal reference though that turned me off right so without getting too explicit she's talking about you know people pleasuring each other and she says to go down and eat it like a vulture <laughs> i'm not sure if you've ever seen a nature documentary but vultures <laughs> eating is not a sexy act at all it's like oh god just rethink that rhyme i just watched jack s4 this weekend and there was a vulture sequence in that they eat with gusto <laughs> you know there's a lot of <laughs> there you go all yes. right all right that's a good point before we move on from this song because i do think that you guys touched on it before that trick the little hook trick with the reversing it stellar and just no notes killer but the overall production of the song is really good in that it is both repetitive but then it will jump you out of that and kind of come back in when it talks about like hear the drummer boy go pum 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 then the drum roll kind of starts it's not just like a cypress hill song which is like we're gonna have this one song that goes meh, meh, and it never stops for four minutes yeah. yeah yeah it brings you in and out of it in a way that doesn't get tiring and boring it feels silly to have to say this but yeah it feels like it reminds you that in the, a lot of other material it feels like the production's phoned in like they created a loop and they said my job is done and they left the studio and this one, it's like they stayed for the production, for the lyrics, and they continue to modify the production and the, the backbeat along with what's going on with the vocal, which that should be every song, but it's not. It's definitely not. And a lot of songs, especially in this era, were a guy like Timbaland making a beat and selling it. I remember there was a time where Timbaland had sold the same beat to two different artists, and they both had top 10 hits <laughs> with the same beat at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's because neither one of them said it was exclusive. <laughs> you know that that just means that she's the only artist that is on this one, right? No, she says it on the Beyonce. She says it on the Beyonce track. That's not accurate, though. Does she say it yeah, on the Beyonce track? Yes. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought it was the the ones where it was just her. Maybe it's the ones where just she wrote it. I don't know. I wanted to mention too that it, harkening back to one of our earliest episodes, the LL Cool J Mama Said Knock You Out beat. I remember us researching, or you coming with the research, Tom, that that beat had been shopped around and even turned into other tracks before it became a hit for LL Cool J. Yeah. And that involves a lot less of I'm the producer in the room crafting the song with you and mm-hmm. more like that process of like, here, here it is, off the shelf beat. You just do your thing over it. And you can tell it's the care. We've talked about this a ton with drummers, Marty, no offense, but it's problematic with a lot of drummers that we played with that they don't want to really be involved in the songwriting and they're sort of just kicking rock beat two, three, four, whatever, irrespective of crafting a specific beat for the specific song to make it sound fresh and new and not just kind of stock. Right, right. And I think in this particular song, it shines through a lot. There's a couple of songs on here that I think are are quite well produced. The breakdown that Marty mentioned really shows restraint on their end because for me, that's like the best part of the song. Again, it feels like it's the bridge where it goes to the ride and it kind of like does this like little syncopation thing. And the fact that that is so catchy and they make you wait for it. They make you wait four minutes and that's my favorite part of the song. And so I'm like hanging on like, come on, where is it? There it is. Yes. And they actually carry the song out with that. So well done. A lot of care put into it. Again, Missy is intelligent she knows her craft really well and again has a vision is executing on it let's let's talk about back in the day brothers and sisters i don't know what this world is coming to what's up missy Timbo. this is another missy yes. exclusive yes uh, one for the butters i came from the gutter no i came from my mother but you know what i mean Hope it's here to stay like permanent crease in your jeans. Me and Missy be the new tag team. Whoop, there it is. We like Ray and Ghost, AG and Showbiz. We public enemy number one. Ozzy weighs a ton. This is a house run. <laughs> what happened to those good old days? When hip hop was so much fun. purposely a rehash of the jay-z hit izzo did you get any of those vibes i didn't get that vibe the riff is kind of similar if pitched differently and they both start with like a megaphone hype man vibe and of course jay-z's on the track it just listen Jay-Z I always starts like a fucking he always hypes himself before he okay. starts every goddamn right. verse he's always hyping himself. all right fair listen i could be talking out of turn but it just <laughs> yeah. it, it rem- I'm, I'm not super familiar with jay-z's catalog but when i was listening to this it reminded me that i went back and listened 
And there does seem to be some referential connection. That's possible. I had not picked up on that personally. I'm not the biggest Jay-Z fan. In fact, my headcanon version of that H to the Izzo is the version that he did with The Roots for Unplugged, which is an awesome album, by the way. Jay-Z Unplugged with The Roots backing him up is fantastic. But the whole reason that I put this song on here was I wanted to contrast Jay-Z's verses versus Ludacris's verse on Gossip <laughs> Folks that we didn't put on the focus list, but I would like to drop in Ludacris on Gossip Folks right now. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about it, and then we'll we'll drop in Jay-Z on this song, uh, on Back in the Day. Okay. Once upon a time in Collin Park, where they live life fast and they scared of dark. There was a little nigga by the name of Creek. Nobody paid him any mind, no one gave a shit. No one he could rap, no one lit the hand. So he went about his business and devised the plan. Made a CD, then he hit the block. 50,000 sold, $7 a pop. Hold a foe, uh, three years later. Stepped out the swamp with 10 and a half meters. Now all around the world on the microphone, he leave the booth smelling like bird. well i had an i had a note that that i not that i have like ludicrous's albums but i love his delivery in general so i'm, I'm now i'm curious he's got good timbre but his lyrics are shit <laughs> they're really bad <laughs> i just wanted to highlight for everybody that this is 2002 and ludicrous on his verse on gossip folks references number one the character tim a from south park <laughs> which is like two years old at this point oh, and then Says something of like, I got to squash the rumor. I got a headache, but it's not a tumor. Oh, <laughs> right after that. Cold. <laughs> From fucking 1990. That, yes. It came out 12 years ago. You're referencing Kindergarten Cop. Like, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, there we go, Luda. Cop of you dropped that. Yeah. When did he appear in the first Fast and the Furious movie? This guy, who's laughing? Uh, you know, I, all the listen, way to the fair bank enough. here. Fair enough. But. I wanted to contrast that with Jay-Z's verses on this, which I think are better. And Jay-Z is famous for not writing stuff down before he goes in the booth. And I personally don't like Jay-Z's lyrical content. I think it's a lot of meaningless rhymes. But it sounds so much better than the ludicrous stuff. It's just, uh, let's drop a little bit of Jay-Z right here. Rough the way it ought to be From day KRS-One All the way up to 1993 To M.O.P. We cold as ice Nigga, we rockin' from the Dre Day To the Suge Knight So fuck Chuck Phillips and Bill O'Reilly If they try to stop hip-hop We all gon' rally, nigga Post Biggie and Pac I got a hole out in the city Make a nigga wanna holler like Missy But fuck it let a nigga MC, the best rapper alive, unquestionably. If you riff on your EP, you gonna need an MD. So you got to chill, cause I kill it well, like solid water, dude. Y'all niggas don't get it. Kill it well, solid water, ice cube. <laughs> That's how hip hop has evolved. Jay Z's for president, I'm naming Roz the National Guard. I thought Jay Z's lyrics were focused. Jay Z does this kind of nostalgia thing really well. And his lyrics here are referencing a lot of people that kind of led up to where they were now in like the hip hop game. And so I thought the content was was on, was spot on. No, I don't disagree with you on this song in particular. I think he does a very good job on the song. And it does 
kind of devolve, both his part and Missy's part, kind of devolve into just a laundry list of shit that they liked growing up. I had a note here that there was a, a checkbox somewhere on the lyric sheet that just said nostalgia. <laughs> and like this was like, all right, well, we got our nostalgia song, so let's move on to the next one. It did feel a little pandering. I realized I hadn't thought about British Knights in like three decades, so that was exciting. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yes. as Marty pointed out earlier, she can really sing. There's some good harmony on this, and it's yeah, well yeah. recorded, it's well yeah. mixed, it sits nicely together. Yeah, the harmonies are great on this one and a couple other ones. The singing is is really sweet. And you don't get that Mary Jane's Last Dance thing going on where it's 10 Tom Petty's and it just sounds like a robot or like a you know AI made it or something. Yeah. It sounds natural, even though it's all her. It rubbed me the wrong way a little that the sample that they used never resolved in terms of the chord. So it goes, and it should go, right? But it doesn't. And so the whole song, I'm like waiting and I'm like, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're just going to keep using the same thing. And it just went the whole time. I was like, just dying for that one resolution <laughs> note. And I never But they got made you it, listen so. to the whole song. They're really good at taking these real small, I'm not sure if that's a sample, it's a guitar, but good at taking these real small snippets and it's like they must Timberland or whoever put that together must have a really good ear. The same thing uh, in one of the other songs we'll talk about. They just pick this real small short. It's like half a second long, but it just like sounds really good. It's tasteful. I think it's very tasteful. Anyway, let's jump on to the next song on our focus list. Pussycat. Ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful love song. <laughs> This is another Missy Elliott exclusive. It's all for the love, but there is more things that keep a man satisfied. And I know the remedy just to cure him from cheating, even if he tried. Sit on filming now I gotta turn this nigga out So you don't want nobody else But me and only me Sit on filming now I gotta turn this nigga out So you don't want nobody else But me and only me I know he's a man I pictured this was tongue-in-cheek, right? I'm guessing I don't know it's hard to defend this one in terms of lyrical content. It's funny. It's, it's, it's yeah, a funny, it's, funny. it's a clever sentiment. Because even the thing it's based on, the feet don't fail me now, or what would people say? That feels like a Bugs Bunny era kind of yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just choose, like, I, I think it's her, and correct me, if, Tom, if you know this, but I think it's her just detuned when she comes in with, like, the male verse or whatever it is and they're just using a lot of words like i know people hate the word moist like that's just it gives like it just really creeps people out but like they're using mushy and gushy to describe things oh man like this is the challenge of the clever chorus because it's clever but i think they basically run out of ideas two minutes in then they throw in a terrible rap verse and then just her scatting which i don't care for and then (laughs) the track ends with another you know two minute monologue yeah, that disclaimer. It's like a, it's right, a right. big, long... I, and I appreciate, you know, being sex positive. And I think the, the point she's making is a good one. But, like, write it in the liner notes. 
the song's pretty good. And then I don't want to hear like this like minute long diatribe at the end. I want the song to end in a She's nice She's trying way. to bring back skits, you know? I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and Adam, I think you're right that that is a detuned Missy Elliott doing that other part okay. there, which... Because then it also got me thinking like, I don't know if there are any other people involved in this track, but imagine that Missy Elliott calls you up and like, hey, roll through the studio. I got this tune. We're going to have some fun. We'll get in there. And you get into the booth and she gives you the lyric sheet. And I'm like picturing if like you guys did that to like yep. one of us. Like, hey, Adam, cut, roll through. We got a chorus for you. And it's like, you know, I can't get it hard or like whatever it might be. Like he's really cringeworthy. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be on tape doing this. Hold on. Let me so. can you get one more of those so I can isolate yeah. that. <laughs> it's limp and it doesn't look right. God. Like on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yes. I do like the text that you sent out earlier on in the week, which is like, <laughs> pussy failure is a thing. I didn't know that that was a thing. And yeah, I, I think they call it vaginal atrophy. You know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> for all of our many, many, and we skew female on this podcast. So for all oh, of our yes, many female so. listeners, let us know if that's a thing. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. Do not, I don't want to know if Dude, that's a don't. thing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't know if we can say anything more about this song without it just devolving into the even more gross. Missy can pull it off because she's doing it with a smile on her face and she's got charm. Yeah, right, right. Uh, we're not pulling this off. So let's just jump on to the next track. Smart move. Nothing out there for me featuring Beyonce. There ain't nothing out there. A Missy Elliott exclusive. I know one thing, Beyonce better not answer this phone. Hundred ladies in free. I ain't got no money either. Shoot, we supposed to been at the club. Hello, Beyonce. I know you ain't letting that broke down, insecure LL Cool J wanna be nigga. Keep you in the house for another five. Just, just go ahead. I'ma stay here with my man. Ain't nothing out there for me. My man don't like my friends. Girl, your man ain't no good. Why he trying to keep you in? He say they influence me. If I was an influence, I'd have been said leave. But boy, I love you so. Girl, we make for the club. Why you still don't wanna roll? I got my prize right here. See the guys at the party. Ain't nothing out there for me. Ain't nothing out there for me. Okay. This is where I want to be. Okay. I done already been in the streets. And I ain't came across nothing so sweet. He's the only man that I love. And I don't need more than one. Okay. So worry when I'm hanging out. He's the only one. That I'm thinking about. I know he's insecure. Every time I leave out the door, and you let him spoil your night. Is the worst track in the album, right? I put this down as the worst track. <laughs> oh yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing in this song for me. That's a good diss. It's just an excuse to have Beyonce on your record. It's basically a, a slow jam, right? That showcases Beyonce. The the, the but production it note. It. Kind of does. She's, I mean, she's in there singing. I thought she's that wailing. when she was doing the duet with Missy, I thought it was an interesting production choice that they throw Missy's vocals through the phone receiver. Yeah. Like it felt like I don't even want to compete with Beyonce. Well, it's funny because they were both phoning it in. Why did they not have them both in the phone? <laughs> also, are we going to talk about the fact that she calls Jay Z a LL Cool J ripoff on the, on the track? <laughs> yeah. Boosh. That was pretty great. I was curious about that. Were they, they were together at that time? I assumed she was talking about someone else, but I guess, yeah, that's 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 kind of weird. I looked it up. I think they got together in like 2000. Yeah. Or it, it seemed to check out when I researched it. Fair enough. I just, my note on this was how do you take extraordinarily charismatic and funny Missy Elliott and undeniable performer like Beyonce 
and wring all of the charisma out of both of them and end up with this fucking dog shit track. You tell me Beyonce and Missy Elliott, I'm thinking fun, I'm thinking bumping, swinging, and no, no, it's just... Beyonce talking about how she's in a probably emotionally abusive relationship where she doesn't feel like she can get anything better and she's just staying at home. And I was not, not impressed. And just from a production standpoint, I mean, you know, singing wise, Beyonce sounds great, but the, that overdriven effect is way too distorted. And like, I know they're going for, maybe it's like the telephone thing. Yeah. Uh, but it is so overdriven that it's it's distracting, and there's a couple th- times where she hits like a loud note, and you almost it, it's almost to the point where you like reach to turn it down a little bit because it's got that distortion too. So it was a little rough. Well, yeah, phone speakers are notoriously the shittiest speakers that you can play something through. <laughs> it's like, how about we make it sound like it's coming through the worst possible interface? Yeah. A phone. It sounds like one of them's in fucking prison, and they're calling the other one. It's, yeah. <laughs> through the glass thing. Didn't like it at all and again it seems like a wasted opportunity for beyonce because even when beyonce is doing her vamping doing her like you know that didn't sound like she had rehearsed it a whole bunch because there are notes in there that they're not bad notes beyonce doesn't really hit bad notes but it, it just could have been better and they could have done that collaboration a lot more justice if they number one had used a different premise I get the premise they were going for, but I think after you hear this, you say, well, maybe we should try a different premise. And then (laughs) I'm also guessing at the time that Beyonce was extraordinarily busy and did not have a whole lot of time to really craft this song. And it's just, yeah, I think it's the, yeah, I I hear what you're saying. It's the kind of song that might've been left off the album, except you have a major guest star on it. And what are you going to do? Yeah. You're not going to scrap the Beyonce song. Nobody are you? cuts no, Beyonce. No, no, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. We are going to move on to the last song on our focus list. It is the song Slide. <laughs> Wake up, tell them what to get my ass from Jacobs. That's the way you real diva like the faucet. Buy a car, no matter what it costs. Of course, it's my rose roses. Make them nauseous. Tell you who the motherfucking boss is. I'm driving, you walking. That's why you're talking. See the chrome spinning on the wheel. Stop jocking. I'ma let you know real nice and slow. I'd be broke as a joke if I had to be your whole soul pole. Missy on the rise like the sun. If you think that I'm done, I ain't even begun. Slice, slice. Dip, shake, shake. We're gonna do it like this. Move show. it all around. Huh? Move it all around. Huh? Slide, 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 slide. Dip, dip, shake, shake. That's right. Move it all around. Huh? Move it all around. Huh? Feel the boom bass again, you bad kid. Fifteen, huh? putting Yeah, I, I listed this as my favorite. Yeah, this song's fucking great. My number one note was when this started, I was like, this could be a nine inch nail song. Dude, oh, Trent Reznor totally, could have come in over that. I yeah. was looking for that. I was like listening to this song. I was like, I want to say something. 
but yeah, you took it. Nine Inch Nails, totally. I didn't think Nine Inch Nails. I wrote Bjork. That too. But I think oh, similar. Same, same thing. Similar, yeah. yeah. Really tasty production. Hip-hop has really figured out how to sample the upright bass in the non-precise bass slides in a way that just make them fucking awesome. Because it's just a half-step bend yeah. or a half-step slide. She got off a couple good rhymes in there, too, I thought. Like, lyrically, there were some things where I popped my head up and then ran over to my phone and, like, what was that line, you know, and and, and read it. It was like, oh, that's great, yeah. man. I thought, A, the beat was way weirder than it needed to be in a really good way, and B, like we've been saying, the care that was put into it because the beat nicely counterpoints what she's doing lyrically. Like, there would be times, especially in the chorus, where she'll, like, get off a line, and then the beat has this melody backing to it that's counterpointing her. It just, it feels like they were purposely interweaved or interwoven. Great opening line, too. What is that opening line, Marty? My twankies look stanky on the bends. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure we got that clip of Marty saying that. Yes. Nice and clear. Yeah. We've got it isolated. All right. Soundboard, here we go. Yeah, I think that overall, her lyrical flow on this is... It's very rhythmically hypnotic in a way that f- goes very well with the, the bass line and the minimalist production on it. And it kind of just gets this sort of momentum behind it that is, it's incredibly compelling. And I will say that this is the song on this album that I'm like, this is my find. This is going on my permanent list of all the songs that I have, my now 570 some song list that I just throw on there. And I'm like, I could listen to any one of these songs at any time. This song's just going random, on the list. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Sounds like we are rounded home plate here. Those are all the songs on our focus list. And now, dear listeners, we are going to get to the most exciting part of the podcast. We are going to vote and tell you whether or not you do need to hear this album before you die. I am throwing it first to Adam. Yeah, so like I mentioned, this was a very fresh listen for me. I'm not super into the genre, but this was a pleasant surprise, and I'm really appreciative that I, I stumbled on this one. So I think you got to listen to it. This was a yes for me. Very very cool artist, and I love hearing the backstory from Tom, so it's a yes. All righty. Marty, give me what you got. All right, the climax of the podcast. Uh, this is one of those records that I, I don't feel very fit to judge um, just because I don't have a lot of experience with this genre of music. I want there to be like eight Van Morrison albums on this list, you know, and, and four <laughs> Bell and Sebastian albums on this list. But to be fair, I think that anyone who's a, a groundbreaker, as Missy is, she's a groundbreaker as a producer and as an artist, I have to say yes, that this belongs uh, on the list. Alrighty. Rob, what you got? Yeah, I also came in fresh this week. I'm not even sure I really knew the hit that well, maybe in being sampled in other tracks, things like that. But I would say yes, you should listen to it. We said the word fun a lot. I think that people who don't think they like hip-hop, one of the things they do not see is the goofiness, is the fun of it, is the sound textures and the interesting... You know, it feels like eating a really interesting meal or something. There's just a lot coming at you, a lot of different flavors, and it's not self-serious. That said, there's a lot of vulgarity in there. I think people who think they don't like hip-hop, that's what they're thinking of sometimes. So that is in there. But if you can get through that, I think you get to the the fun, and, and for all the other reasons you guys said, I think she's an artist that must be paid attention to. Alrighty, so that is three out of three so far. I'm going to go ahead and make it four for four. I will say absolutely yes. I think that you should listen to Missy Elliott in general. Listen to Under Construction. Absolutely. Check out the music videos. They're a fun watch. She's an innovator. 
just a lot of fun. And I, I think that you're not going to feel like you wasted your time listening to this album. And hopefully it will give you an appreciation of some of the artists that came after her and an appreciation for where the art was going at the time. I do think that she was one of those culture leaders who helped to direct where hip hop was going and hip hop being the dominant force in popular culture to this day. It's important to know who those people at the steering wheel were at different times. So we got four for four, Missy Elliott under construction. You are on the list. Now, one of the things that we have not really touched on is that Missy Elliott went on that string of hits until like 2005. And then she kind of really dropped off the map for a long time. Didn't do anything for a while after that. There hasn't been a whole lot that I was able to find. I didn't research this era of her life a ton. I sort of stopped at the under construction era, but I believe that she has something like rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, that has really prevented her from being able to be as active as she wants to be and be the kind of persona star, hardworking person that she was. I do believe that she is trying to make somewhat of a comeback now a couple of years ago, I think she was in the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. I remember hearing that, that people were making a big deal out of that. I was at a Super Bowl party. I don't really like the Super Bowl. I don't really give a shit about the Super Bowl. So I was in the other room, like playing with all the kids at the Super Bowl party. <laughs> and I just heard that get your freak on. And all of the women at the party were immediately like, oh, fuck yes, like going nuts. I hope she makes a comeback. I like her a lot. I just, I, from seeing interviews with her, she seems like a very cool person, very grounded person, very down to earth person, with also seven million dollars worth of cars. Down to earth. <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, I would be remiss if I didn't mention great job on the research because I really, I hope the viewers know this, and this is typically the case, but certainly in this case, I did not come in knowing how I was going to vote by any means. I wanted to hear the context in the background because, yeah, it was a fun record, but your explanation and like understanding where she's coming from. And what she did, what she contributed to this record, is just so darn important. So I think, just wanted to say that, that the context and the history is key. So, great work. The people out there that are huge Missy Elliott fans are going to find a bunch of shit that I got wrong, a bunch of context that I missed, because I had one week to try to research this. And frankly, I was on vacation for half of that, so I only had half a week to do a lot of the research on this. And, you know, but that's what we want. We want you to write in. We want you to tell us what we missed, what we could get more specific on or maybe things that we didn't go deep enough on or things that we completely whiffed missed some context on 1001 album complaints at gmail.com is where you can write to us and let us know you can also leave us a review that'd be great but we'd love to hear from you guys write into us let us know and with that being said i'm going to throw it over to rob because i believe he has some missives from our mailbag to read i sure do i have some epistles right here in front of me tom so first, uh, a quick one. Todd writes, love the show, five stars. Every episode gives insight into the music as well as inspiration. Love the deep dives into music theory. Keep going on with those sus four ad nine chords. I assume he's talking to Phil. <laughs> and you guys are a great hang. After each episode, I go home and jam. I assume he means play music. Thank you, Todd. Awesome. Appreciate it. And here's a slightly longer one, a little more specific. Peter, all the way from Copenhagen, Denmark writes i recently discovered your podcast i've enjoyed now a few weeks of binging to get through the backlog of episodes and i'm almost caught up now 
Although taste in music differs from person to person, I can't help wondering how on earth Robert Diamery came up with some of the albums on this list. <laughs> Listen, guys. Preach it. <laughs> I have a big appetite in music across all genres. Jazz, Beastie Boys, Wagner. But I have in all these years been saved from ever hearing a Kid Rock album. <laughs> and based on your podcast review that was episode number 53 kid rocks devil without a cause based on your review i listened to the full devil without a cause album and i was appalled <laughs> his rap style in scare quotes is terrible the lyrics reminded me of my four-year-old son coming home from kindergarten with a new word he learned from his friends and trying to shock me with curse words he, go, he closes by saying, as I'm not native in English, I normally have the luxury of choosing whether to listen to the lyrics or just go with the music. But in this case, both options were terrible. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Boosh. Yes. Yes. I love it. I've thought the same thing. I'm like, did Dimery, did he like never listen to a single note of music until he was like... <laughs> 45 <laughs> and then put this list together you know, i think the i think we've talked about it in an ancillary way but you know he got started on this project he got 300 albums deep and he's like i'm tired of this <laughs> somebody else my lackeys yeah, exactly. can finish this list he probably also had a very uncharitable view of americans and is like what do americans like kid rock yeah that we'll throw that one on there it can't be too british true that true that well anyway thank you peter from denmark really appreciate you listening to us all the way out there and for anyone who hasn't listened that Kid Rock episode. That was a fun one. At, at the very least, it gave us a fun podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love to hear from everyone in that mailbag. Now, last thing that we are going to do here is spin that old Albinator and select the album that we are going to be listening to next week. I have the Albinator here. It is, I guess, Super Dupa Fly. I could have come up with something yeah, better for good. that, but I, you know, I all yeah. good. That works. It's, it's working. It's working. It's doing its job. <laughs> we are going to spin it and see what we're going to be listening to next week. So, without any further ado, drum roll, please. We will be listening to all right. The album is Crime of the Century, and the band is Super Tramp. Nice. What is on Crime of the Century? I'm familiar with. Breakfast in America, but I think everyone is familiar with Breakfast in yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm not saying to kill like the mega. I'm just saying I'm familiar the mega with mega hit. One. No, no, I just meant that I feel like that's like the yeah, yeah. Breakfast in America is like the huge one. Is this like their first record, maybe? I feel like they had some weird thing where weren't they like privately sponsored by some rich guy who just liked them and wanted them to keep making music? Yeah, they had a patron or something. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I guess we'll find out more. Oh, you know what song they sing? Oh, oh, the logical song. Yeah, hell yeah, man. When I was young, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that's on Breakfast in America. Oh, that's called Breakfast in no, America? No, no, that's on Breakfast in America. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. You definitely know a few of their songs. They have a few huge hits. I'm looking forward to that. So... For 1001 Album Complaints, we're going to wrap things up here. Listen to Crime of the Century, not Breakfast in America, even though that's all we talked about. Listen to Crime of the Century by Supertramp. That's why I was so goddamn Next week. (laughs) Until then, for 1001 Album Complaints, thanks for listening. I have been Tom. I'm Adam. I'm Marty. And I'm Rob. Aboosh.
My twankies look stanky on the bends. <laughs> <laughs>